Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast, where our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I will be your host today, along with Alyssa Clark, and we are thrilled to welcome, for the first time, one of our longtime coaches, Jason Anton, onto the show. Today, we're going to talk about all things strength training and mountaineering. Jason has over 20 years of coaching experience as a professional mountain guide and takes on incredible mountain endurance challenges in his television series, Beat Monday. Jason, thanks for joining us for the show. Steve, thanks for having me. Um, It's been a pleasure working as a coach for the Uphill team, uh, and this is a great opportunity for me to talk about things that are very near and dear to my heart, uh, which are playing in the mountains and getting ready for playing in the mountains. as you mentioned, uh, these days I try to combine several different ways to connect with people, uh, one being through inspiration to the Beat Monday show, uh, two being through actually sharing that experience with them side by side in the mountains as a guide. And then, of course, <clears throat> as it's most relevant here, helping them get ready mentally and physically for those endeavors as a coach. Um, and so I'm really excited to dive into some of the topics we're going to discuss this morning. Jason, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, and I feel like I really scored on this one because Steve and I realized that you have not been on the podcast yet, which is like, what were we doing? So it's awesome that uh, we're able to have your first interview um, on the Uphill Athlete podcast with us today. Um, So before we dive into the actual, I guess, meat of our episode, um, can you give us a little bit about your background in mountain sports and what drew you to become a guide and a coach, and also what brought you to work with Uphill Athlete? Yeah, great question, Alyssa. Um, I'll try not to bore you all the tears with my response, but um, you know, I grew up playing traditional sports, so baseball, football, all those things. Um, and although I did have a lot of exposure to the outdoors, you know, with my family, we'd go hiking and skiing, snowboarding as kids. I really dedicated almost all of my energy from an athletic standpoint to football through through the college level. And so that was really where I spent all of my time training and preparing. And, you know, up until my early 20s, that's really where I invested all of my time. And while I was in college, I was studying sports medicine and getting ready to potentially dive into a profession of coaching. Um, and at the same time, playing NCAA football, uh, you know, that takes up a lot of time. I think they say about 60 hours a week for a college athlete. Um, And then I graduated and I had all this energy and all this desire to not only continue to to train myself and pursue an athletic endeavor, um, but I had no real outlet. And so I went back to the the thing I could think of, which was being in the outdoors. And so I basically just put all that energy that I had spent the last decade playing traditional sports and transitioned it into mountain sports. And that started with climbing and then moved into trail running. And then I started blending the two and getting more into the Alpine world. And uh, so that's where kind of the, the, the fire was lit for, for being a, you know, one who pursues mountain sports and athletics myself from a coaching standpoint, you know, when I, when I was in the, I grew up in the Northeast. And so I was coaching there. I had graduated from college. I was doing a lot of one-on-one training for folks of all uh, ambitions, abilities. And then I moved to Colorado and I, I reached out to a, a woman in Boulder named Connie Shalino, who owns a small gym called, well, at the time it was called Mountain Athlete. Um, and it's now called the Alpine Training Center. And I thought that was really unique because it was a way for me uh, not only to to work out myself surrounded by other mountain athletes, um, but to be a coach there. And this gym is a place that provides, you know, hour long blocks of training for folks prepping for the mountains. And so when I moved to Colorado about 12 years ago, I started coaching there. And at the same time, I also picked up, you know, the, the, the profession as a guide and started working towards all right, and working down that path. And so for the last decade, I've really been pursuing those two ways of helping people get into the mountains and achieve their goals. One being coaching, the other being actually giving them the skills or sharing the experience with them side by side. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting how you came to mountain sports through traditional sports, which of course have that built-in structure of training for 
preparing for and coaching for the per- performance or the games or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I think we can probably all agree that mountain sports, particularly mountaineering, historically never had. And that's kind of one of the things that that Scott and I set out to change with the original training for the new Alpinism book, which was to start to introduce mountain athletes to this concept of of structured training and i obviously that's brought us to to where we're at, at all at today but i think that that's uh really interesting and makes a lot of sense to me yeah steve i mean and one thing i think that was you know I, i'm sure you re- you remember it certainly when you when you wrote the first book but you know when i started getting really excited about mountain athletics and mountain sports I wouldn't say it was, it was, it was certainly not common culture. It wasn't, wasn't cool per se, right? You talk to climbers 20 yeah. years ago, like training for climbing was just going and climbing um, versus yeah. training for, you know, football. It's like, you know, you have regimented strength workouts, you have regimented conditioning workouts. You've got uh, watching game film, reading plays, actually practicing. It was, it's part of the culture. It's the norm. It's cool. When it yeah. comes to mountain sports, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, it wasn't really the norm yet for most folks. And so it's been really fun to see that explode. Um, You know, I remember watching videos of, you know, Uli Steck training hard and it inspired me to go to the, the stairs at Harvard stadium in Boston and just run laps of the pack, you know? Um, But it took a while to encourage my fellow climbing buddies to do that with me. I certainly found a few, but it, uh, it wasn't the norm, you know, just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very true. Tell us a little bit more about what it was like training for and playing college football at the NCAA level. Yeah, Steve, you know, I went to, I went to school at a small school in in New York, St. Lawrence, and uh, I I loved it. I loved the, the challenge of having to prepare yourself mentally and physically day in, day out for that. I love the team component. Um, you know, for, for me, one thing that I I think adds a unique perspective for mountain athletes is I'm not a small person. I'm not your typical build for a trail runner or rock climber, even, even an alpinist. Um, you know, when I graduated college, I was 265 pounds and I, I felt like I was, I was pretty darn strong at the time, but I remember, uh, going to a bouldering gym just after I graduated and just completely shredding my hands up because, you know, I hadn't prepped myself for that type of movement. I was very heavy. You know, my technique was quite poor back then. Um, and so I, I think I have a pretty unique perspective on the the transition from maybe a traditional sport like American football to uh, mountain athletics. But I really enjoyed my time as a football player. And one of the biggest thing that stands out for that is the the teamwork component and working with a team and training with a team. And I often am, am searching for that when I go out and play in the mountains. You know, and I think that you've both heard me say this a lot, but one of the things that I really want to celebrate with the Uphill Athlete coaching team is that each of us has special superpowers and special unique backgrounds. And one of yours is strength training. I mean, you know, I I grew up strength training as well. I think for me, it was more just something... um, I don't know. For I had a I had a really great friend group, and we all thought it was kind of cool. Uh, I'm not sure why. And none of us played football. Like we were all like cross country runners and and skiers and stuff. But in I started in seventh grade, and then I we had early bird classes in seventh and eighth grade. It was two days a week. But then when I got to high school, it was five days a week, from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. every day. And I did that all through high school. And we were in there with the football players and the football coach. And, you know, we learned a lot in hindsight. Like at the time, you're just kids and you're just goofing around and you're just, it's just fun. And we, we had a lot of laughs and we thought we looked funny with all our, you know, we, of course, we were like skinny little kids, you know, especially me, I was small. And so like, I, I look, even though I looked like I looked pretty ripped, even though I wasn't that strong, just because, <laughs> just because I, you know, did a little bit of that kind of training. We just thought that was hilarious. You know, of course the girls didn't think that was so, so cute, but uh, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, Steve, I mean, but, yeah, I think that uh, your background in that is, is super interesting. What were some of the things that you took away from those years of, of strength training? Just generally, what did you, what, what, what do you look back on that you, that you learned there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think 
there's there's so much that I look back and 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 realize it gave me a good foundation for other things. Um, one of the biggest ones just time and consistency. I mean, we preach that as coaches at Uphill, and you know, I spent just like you, Steve. You said you know, at a very 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 young age, you started training and you know, that, that volume accumulates over time. You know, there's a significant yeah. impact of accumulated fitness. Uh, and I think that's, it's very profound when it comes to strength. You know, I've had training blocks where I've focused my efforts on other things, like maybe spending time on the trails and, and spending a lot less time moving weight around, but man, that strength sticks with you for a long time if you're consistent and build it up. And so, you know, years, yeah. decades, literally of training, you know, that's shown me that, that accumulated fitness is a real, is a real thing. Um, the other thing is just movements, right? We talk about at Uphill technical capacity, right? That's a big focus of how we get folks ready for various objectives and how we train them. And, you know, spending a lot of time working through compound movements, learning how to do exercise. That's also a skill that we know as coaches doesn't, doesn't come naturally to everybody. Um, and so it gives yeah. me an understanding that it's important to learn those movements and how to do them well. I'm writing that word or that phrase down, technical capacity. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I again, it's kind of funny when you're a kid and you're just going along with having fun and working out and you don't realize what you're doing. I mean, kind of same thing. I went to a ski academy and we did strength and we did a lot of balance strength. And you look back at it and you go, thank you so much, mm -hmm. whoever <laughs> decided to program this. And I thought it was fun. And here we are. Um, so, yeah, similarly, I played lacrosse in college. So come from kind of the background A of the ski academy. Yeah. But then um, we lifted, you know, it's like yeah. two, three times a week you were in the gym and, and you had a strength coach who was standing there helping you with your technique. And I think that that foundation leads to athletes that are really durable as we kind of have have talked about a lot but yeah listen, I, mm -hmm. I i agree 100 percent. like you you threw out the d word first i mean i think first off it's it's lifting's fun like i've always enjoyed it i grew up doing it you know i have had other athletes say do i really need to spend this much time in the gym and i'll kind of give them my my scientific answer of what I think is reasonable. And then I also, Hey, like if, if you're enjoying it, you know, that's part of the process and, and keep doing it. And I personally think it's fun, which is why I've almost always included it in my own training, but then it's, then it's the D word, the durability factor, right? I think that is a massive component to being successful in a, in a long career or, or long, you know, lifespan of, of playing in the mountains. And, you know, the strength training really contributes to being able to do these things day in day out and have a fun time doing it. Yeah, and I wasn't going to get to this at this point, but it's in my notes and it's a, I'll make the bridge right now because I think that our joints are designed to work really well in a certain range of motion and in a certain um, biomechanical way. And what people I think don't realize, and this is one of the main reasons we strength train at Uphill Athlete and we, we preach this so so loudly is to to your to your fitness house needs a foundation and that foundation is literally strength because the muscles and the tendons and the bony connections are the things that hold our joints together and it's one thing if we're like walking down a trail or you're running and everything's in line but as soon as your foot slips or as soon as like you hit a, a little pit of wind slab while you're skiing and it throws you forward and there's these other forces what holds your joints together is literally the strength of your muscles and your connective tissues and this is so important for for durability and i i can say like other than like traumatic accidents from from falling like i've been my i'm 52 years old i've never knock on wood had an overuse injury in my life like you know and that's entirely because of strength training, I'm convinced. And, you know, I mean, every all of my friends have had like multiple knee surgeries and all of that. And I've never even, never even had a problem. And I think it's because I've just stayed strong. Yeah, Steve, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I, uh, I still have plenty of time moving around to get myself an, an overuse injury and things like that. But yeah, I, I believe heavily that years of strength training, training have helped me stay more durable and, and, injury-free. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, should we go back to our our back to our script a little bit, perhaps, and make sure we don't miss anything? Because I know we have a lot of great information to cover today. Yeah, I think that we've. I mean, this has been amazing of of hearing this background. Uh, but I think really what we should start with is we've been throwing around this word strength, but what is strength? Start with that. I want to start with a definition of strength because it's a misunderstood thing. And I actually, I think what we're talking about most of the time when we talk about strength trainings, we're actually talking about power and strength is your absolute ability to move, move a certain amount of, to create a certain amount of force, lift a certain weight or whatever. But power is the ability to do that over us over a certain amount of time. And the shorter that amount of time is, the more power you have. That makes sense. And how that translates to endurance is that in endurance training or endurance sports, we are using our muscles in a sub-maximal way over and over and over and over and over and over again for many, many, many repetitions. And the smaller the percentage of that is of our what the power we can generate, the greater our endurance is. It's that simple. So if we can keep uh, going um, at 5% of the absolute power that we can produce, which if you might think of as super easy, it is, it'd be like walking or something, then yeah, that's why you can walk for a really long time. And that's also why if you put on a 90 pound pack and you try to you know, sprint up a hill that may, maybe you can do that a few times, but maybe you're at 99% of your power. Uh, and you can only do that for like a couple of seconds and you're going to be exhausted. And so I think it's important, particularly we're talking in this, in this series about strength training for mountaineers and mountaineers do have to carry a lot of weight, unlike any other sport, honestly, like I don't know any other sport where you are moving around with 60 pounds, 70 pounds on your body. And that is a real thing. And the other thing I want to surface around this is that it's not that much lighter if you're smaller, just because you're, if you're a hundred pounds and five foot four, you're boots and pack and rope and all that stuff that don't actually weigh that much less than the than Jason's. And Jason's got more muscle to, to do that. So that was a bit of a rambling an answer, but I think I wanted to kind of try to connect the the definition of, of strength as the ability to just create a force, power, the ability to create a force over a certain amount of time, hopefully a, a short amount of time, and then how that translates into the actual application of what we're doing and why it's important to have powerful a powerful body so that you can have achieve great endurance. It's just, they just go together. Yeah. Yeah. Steve. I mean, I think you nailed it. It's like, we could dive into the, the nitty gritty of it as we will in a minute, but you know, from a guiding perspective, you know, folks kind of train to the best of their ability. If they, if they don't have some structured focus from something like an uphill athlete, um, you know, I think about clients going on Rainier for the first time, right? They, uh, yeah. they, they might go hiking or trail running. Uh, they might go to the gym, but you know, for those that either have a tough time or potentially those that are unsuccessful due to, due to fitness, it really comes down to carrying that 50 pound pack up to, up to camp one, and then potentially carrying that 50 pound pack again the next day. It's just, people are not prepared for it. And they don't realize how much of an important factor it is to being successful in the mountains. And, you know, once we, and we'll, we'll dive into this, but once we kind of dissect what went wrong and how we can prepare. It really comes down to making sure they can do the thing with weight on their back. And, and like you said, that, that weight's going to be the same for the, the hundred pound athlete and the 200 pound athlete. Yeah, definitely. So I feel like you already answered it, but uh, just to really like, I guess, hit that home to make sure that we understand, I mean, why is it so important for mountain athletes to be strong? Why should we strength train? Yeah, I think for mountaineers, it's because our sport is heavy and because it's the foundation that keeps us uh, healthy and keeps us, uh, gives us uh, longevity as athletes. And I think most uphill athletes are here because 
they want to be active and athletic in the mountains over a lifetime, not just for a few months. And that's one of the best ways you can achieve that longevity. And if I'm going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit more, you know, as we age, sarcopenia is the, is the name for the phenomenon that once you get past around 50 years old, you just start to lose a certain amount of muscle mass. And you can keep that from happening through strength training. It's been proven in many studies, and there's tons of information out there about how good, like they, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, if, if you're over 50 and you only do one thing, strength train. And this is why it's to prevent sarcopenia and maintain muscle mass. And that's actually connected to. Uh, better health and across a lot of a lot of different ways but i think that there's um a lot of compelling reasons to strength train yeah just just to add to that you know it's a sometimes in the mountains you don't have a, a choice to carry the weight right we do certainly have mountain sports that are truly light and fast and carefree maybe uh trail running shorter distances uh with support or trail running any distance with support or uh maybe an uphill ski mountaineering race that's su supported but when you're when you're you know embarking on an alpine endeavor mountaineering endeavor like you have to carry gear and speed is also a, a margin of safety and so the faster you can move with weight in the back on your back the safer and more successful you're going to be in the mountains and then just to kind of riff off what steve said like Mountain, mountain athletics and mountain sports are sometimes linear until they're not. And so, you know, you get knocked off balance or as Steve said, you ski into a wind slab and get, you know, kicked off kilter. They're, they're often non-linear at times that you're not expecting and strength allows you to prepare for those moments. Yeah. And also if we take it to mountaineering and alpinism, the, the fact is that for the most part, the more difficult the climbing gets, the heavier everything becomes because you slow down. So you need more food, you need more water, you need warmer clothes. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the wrong direction. Um, and it just makes it almost exponentially harder. And this is, uh, you know, I say this not to call out like extreme alpinism so much as to say that everyone's skill level in mountain, in the mountains exists on some sort of continuum from beginner to, you know, the most advanced and the challenge that you're undertaking relative to where you are on that skill level continuum is going to dictate how much equipment you need. If climbing Rainier is really hard for you and you've never done it before and you're really intimidated you're i can guarantee that you're going to be packing too heavy because that's human nature like and as it should be like i'm not it's it, there's nothing wrong with it like when i do something that is unknown for me i i also like i'm not sure what those boundaries are so i hedge a little bit on the safe side which is probably going to mean like oh i better have this other rope or i better bring a jumar rather than a prosec or i better you know there's a few decisions and all of a sudden your pack weight is 10, 15% heavier. Where if you're doing an objective, like if Jason and I go climb Mount Rainier, we know exactly what we need. We know exactly what we don't need. And we can, we can like draw that line very precisely and get our packs down really light and have a fine time and have backpacks that weigh 20 pounds each. And, you know, that's, that's totally different than if somebody's going to Rainier the first time. And it's not anything wrong with the person that's going to Rainier the first time. It's just that we have way more experience relative to that objective. Yeah, no, Steve, you nailed it. And, and it's funny too, because, you know, we all, all three of us realize the significance of weight on your back and how it affects performance and movement and what's required. But, you know, this season, I, I haven't been doing as much uh, uphill inbounds uh, skiing as I have in past years. And I've been guiding a lot and I've been wearing my, my pack ski guiding and, you know, my backpack ski guiding is like, sometimes almost 40 pounds. I mean, it has a bag valve yeah. mask, full med kit, full repair kit, rescue sled, sometimes, you know, and this is, this is a non-technical pack, right? I've got a light rope. Yeah. Um, and so I met my buddies to go up the uh, resort on um, last Friday morning, just a few laps. And I had like an ear to ear grin, right? I'm having so much fun. I'm like, why is this so fun? You know? And I just realized it was the first time all year, the whole year that I haven't had a full pack with my skis on. And I just had like this moment of like, oh man, wow. I, I can't believe how much more carefree and light I feel now. And I, I know it, I just hadn't felt it yet this season. Um, and it felt great, but my, my whole point in telling you that story is 
the pack, the pack is real and it's important to prepare for it. Yeah, absolutely real. There's a great term on kind of the backpacking world is that, and I mean, long distance trail running is you pack your fears and I'm sure that applies to mountaineering alpinism and that pack and those fears weighs an awful lot. So, yeah, and it's, there's it's nothing great. wrong with that. I think it's just an important thing to realize that the, the more certain you feel probably also the stronger you're going to be because you're used to being out there. So there it's like, they're very connected. The whole, whole aspect of that. Um, I also think it's very underrated. People do not realize weight on feet is so much harder. Like you put a heavy ski on, you put a mountaineering boot with a, a crampon, like that's a lot of extra um, strength that's needed, especially if you're moving through deep snow or anything like that. Big time. Yeah, I always used the um, the pneumatic style crampons. I always climbed on gravel crampons. So like even on Nanga Parbat, like we had the, like the plastic piece on the over the toe that comes up rather than this, the, the metal bale that goes into the and people would always ask me like how can you have those they're seen as something non-technical right and i the answer is really simple each one was two ounces lighter wow that's a massive that's a massive difference over a long difference and and you go to you know eighteen thousand feet where you have half an atmosphere of pressure or you go to twenty five thousand feet where you've got you know 30% 30% of a, of the sea level atmospheric pressure and everything needs that much more, you know, energy to, to move. And so those, those little differences become really big. And I think the, the, that was, you know, whatever, almost 20 years ago now, so that the gear has gotten a lot better and a lot lighter since, but um, these, these are important, important things that, you know, it's, it's goes back to, you know, that really cool project they did. I don't know when that was uh, quite a while ago where they went and they climbed the Iger 1938 route with all original equipment. Oh yeah. I think their concession wow. was they used modern ropes, um, but that was it. Yep. And I'm glad. like, yeah. And, and it was so, and they were like, these are guys that had already climbed it like 20 times each, you know, they'd like they've lived at the base of the mountain. They knew it by the back of their hand. It, it just goes to show like these, these, that's an extreme example, but these, these extremes were achieved through small iterations and improvements over many, many, many years. So that it makes a big difference. Anyway, we're getting way off topic as we tend to, <laughs> but we're going to come, Elise is going to keep us on track. I'm going to try my best. So with strength training, we focus on kind of a, I'll say a three-part series of periodization. And we talked in the last episode about strength training in the base period, We and we didn't get too far into it because we knew we were going to have a great guest on uh, for this episode. But we want to go much further into what these three periods look like. So they are transition, max strength, and muscular endurance. And we're not going to go into hypertrophy because that's not really what we want to focus on. Um, So Steve, I want to have you lead us off with defining these three terms, you know, transition, max strength, and muscular endurance. Um, And then Jason, if you want to follow up with what strength training in the transition period looks like, we will get ourselves right back on t- on track. <laughs> okay. Um, tr- the strength training in the transition period is sometimes called the general strength training. And essentially all it is is to get you conditioned to be able to train. It's just a general conditioning. And in a sense, we don't have to worry too much ab- about what happens during this period. Other than that, it needs to be consistent and well-rounded. The programming needs to be consistently executed and the, the, the exercises you're doing hit all the major you know, muscle groups and ranges of motion that we need to address as mountaineers. The max strength period is the period where um, I think people have the most fun a lot of times because you're lifting heavy, high weight, low reps, and you're using the same motions repeatedly, you know, from week to week. Um, and the reason for that is that we're really focusing on progressing those those weights 
uh, and increasing those weights a little bit every week so that you actually get stronger. And the purpose of the max strength period is actually uh, counterintuitive. It doesn't actually necessarily make the muscle fibers any stronger. What is actually happening is a neurological adaptation to teach your nervous system to fire more muscle fibers together and to coordinate those muscle fibers better. And I think this goes back to that, you know, decades of strength training, longevity as an athlete thing. It's also just from this, your muscles know how to coordinate and work together when there's a sudden large force on the joints. And this is what the max strength period does. And then we have the muscular endurance or sometimes called strength endurance. And I think in a the term strength endurance is maybe a little more intuitive to understand because you're you're combining strength and you're combining endurance. So what this means in mountaineering training most commonly is the weighted pack carries. So, you know, starting off with say a 40 pound pack and hiking up 30 minutes up a steep hill in mountain boots, you know, again, specificity is part of the equation here. We'll talk some more about that, but we're getting, you know, into the, into the end of our training plan, closer to the preparation for our objective. And we're just loading up a backpack and carrying it uphill at a pretty good clip. Yeah, Steve, great points. I mean, there's obviously the more traditional periodization that we probably have all learned as, as strength coaches. Um, but as Alyssa kicked kick things off with, you know, at Uphill Athlete, we have the transition phase, we have the kind of max strength phase, and of course, muscular endurance or strength endurance, as you said, you know, for me, the transition phase is a time where folks really need to start to learn the motion, right? Because what if they don't have good fundamental movements, if they're unclear on on exactly how to do the exercises, then we, we can't progress to the, the best of our abilities once we move on to either the muscular endurance or max strength phase. So the transition phase for me is folks understanding first and foremost what the exercises are, how to be done correctly you know, form of, of courses of the utmost importance. Um, some of it's just getting the body and mind prepared for the, the working load that's about to, that's about to follow. Um, but the transition phase is pretty much all about laying the, laying the foundation for the next two phases of strength that we're going to implement at uphill. Once we get past that, you know, we as you said, Steve, we're, we're diving right into the, into the max strength. And as you said, it, it's certainly fun because you're moving, uh, typically a lot more weight over less reps, and uh, we're certainly trying to mimic uh, muscle recruitment that we're going to be seeing in the mountains. And for a lot of folks, that's a fun phase. And of course, we're typically implementing that for, you know, usually, you know, up to eight weeks. Um, and we're kind of changing the amount of, of sets or rounds they're doing each week. Uh, and ultimately, our goal there is to increase the weight. But yeah, those are those are kind of the three fundamental strength components that we implemented uphill. And, and I think they complement mountain athlete athletics. Uh, quite well. That's uh, really helpful for our listeners to know. I think that a lot of people probably want to skip right to max strength or muscular endurance and don't spend enough time in the transition period, uh, which is super important for just understanding how to move your body. And I think we really touched on that with the episode with Pete, our physical therapist, um, but that's just so important for injury prevention. Um, but Let's get to the <laughs> the quote unquote, you know, sexy indoor lifting where you're throwing up big weight. No, I'm just kidding. We're we're not trying to be uh, bodybuilders over here. But what is the max strength period? And again, we've talked about this quite a bit. But why is it so important? Because it seems, honestly, from the outside, opposite of what we should be trying to aim for. Um, but what are we trying to do here? And what are some of the core exercises that we use in the max strength period? Yeah, I can start us off there because I think that I want to, first off, I want to go back to something you said on about bodybuilders. And one of the distinctions I want to make about why we as athletes are strength training versus why a bodybuilder may be strength training is we are trying to our goal is to become better at our sport. Our goal is not to just lift more weight. Um, that's a that's going to happen as part of this process, but that's actually not our goal. So one of the things with max strength that my favorite movement, and we're going to talk, people, when they, as soon as you start talking about strength training, they want to know about which exercise or which movements you, you like. But I really like, for mountaineers, I really like 
one-legged movements. Um, I really like the box step-ups. Um, I think the biggest mistake people make with box step-up is they use too high of a box or they use a box that is soft or like a, a, a weight bench uh, so their ankle isn't, isn't stable. I think that I also recommend people do these in like a, a really flat, low you know, like a weightlifting style shoe, you know, something without too much cushion in it that makes it harder for you to stabilize. And you just, you know, the easiest thing is just to hold dumbbells in your hands and step up and down off the box. You know, of course it's, let's say better and harder or harder if you put the weight on your shoulders or in a backpack and put it higher because the lever arm is greater and it's harder to maintain balance. And that's part of what we're trying to improve upon as trying to improve on our sport but that's also just more sometimes you just need to like get it done quickly so i tell people hey if you do just if you really want to get the weights higher just grab two dumbbells like kind of put them up in like a, a goblet squat sort of position holding them up in front of your chest or something and and do the movements like that i also tell people to try to do the movements relatively quickly i mean we're doing you know a max strength protocol is going to be something like you know three to four reps of you know, 90 to 90%, 95% of your one rep max. And what I don't want to see people getting into for, from an athletic point of view, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with power is I don't want people to be doing the movements slowly. You know, I don't want them to be just like straining against it and just barely taking like three or four seconds to get the weight up, you know, from in it, whether it's a back squat or whatever. I want people to be like a somewhat explosive and relatively quick because power strength in a relative, you know, applied in a short amount of time is what we need as athletes. Okay. So, and this is, again, strength training, as we know from all of the research, it's, it's incredible how specifically our bodies adapt to these stimuli. And so we really want to make the stimuli look as much like the event as we can. And this is why I really prefer a box step up or a split squat or something like that that's heavy over um, a back squat. I do also for myself really uh, love the deadlift because I think it's really good for my posture and my back. (laughs) Um, and I think that that's actually like getting a little bit away from what I was just saying, but I, I know like for me as a climber, my shoulders are always forward and anything I can do to like get stronger on the, on the back of my, um, body is, is good. So. Well, how about yeah. you, Jason? What, what yeah. exercises? Yeah, appara- do you apparently, work? apparently, Steve, we need to work out more together because uh, you just named, you know, my my regular go to. So, for I do also enjoy yeah. doing deadlifts, even if they're not super super heavy. I think they do complement, um, you know, a, a well rounded program, you know, and I enjoy doing them. But uh, but you nailed it with the single leg stuff, and the single leg stuff for me is quite important, as you mentioned, single leg box step-ups, weighted box step-ups, rear foot elevated, or as some folks know them as Bulgarian split squats. They're super important. And there's kind of there's kind of three reasons why, to me, the single leg stuff is so crucial to a well-rounded program. And the first one is it, it's real, right? Like if, if we're used to doing a uh, traditional back squat or traditional front squat, we're really, we're working, you're certainly training your body to work together as one unit. But when you're in the mountains moving, you, you don't, and you rarely have that ability. You really have that luxury to have, you know, two, two leg limbs that are completely linear doing the motion. It's often one off balance or often one taking 90% of the load. And so the first reason the, the single leg stuff is great is because it mimics real life. Second one is that it certainly promotes durability, right? We do see, or I, I do see some athletes either at the Alpine Training Center or through uphill that, you know, they start to get maybe some, some hip issues. Uh, and that has to do with their inability to really operate with that single leg. They're so dependent, so compensating on other, other muscles that their, their hips and, um, you know, other, other joints become less stable because they're not focused on, um, really making sure that they're, that, that they're stabilizing each leg at a time. And the last reason is just that recruitment, right? Because if you're doing thing as one leg and you're doing thing, really isolating one limb, you are requiring it to learn how to recruit as many muscle groups as possible to complete that exercise as efficiently as it can. Whereas if you're used to doing kind of two-legged traditional exercises or two-legged squat, there's certainly going to be some compensation. So it really comes down to muscle recruitment, 
staying durable, and of course, mimicking real life movement in the mountains. I think those are excellent points. I was, I actually think about this a lot with ski touring is that you almost always, especially if you're on steep terrain, have one foot that's higher than the other. And so one leg is working an awful lot harder than the other one is. And if you don't have the ability to like, both legs are not very strong on their own, that is just going to be a suffer fest. So Mm -hmm. that's an incredible point of just, you know, real life application um, is always what we're trying to do. And I think that that can get lost for a lot of people where they're in a gym, they're not out in the mountains. It's like, no, but this helps you to do that better. Uh, so just always a good thing to be kind of in the back of your head. One caveat I think we should throw out for people that may be listening that have not done a lot of strength training in the past is that it's absolutely, if you if it's your first time going through a max strength period, I would actually, if I was coaching someone, I would actually have them do that as a back squat probably. Mm-hmm just because I want them to start to form the foundation and I, and I'm wor- and I don't know if the chassis is really strong enough to allow heavy loading in a one-legged uh, movement like a Bulgarian split squat or a box step up. So um, while the, the ideal is to do these as single-legged, there are certainly cases, especially if you're new to strength training where you'll want to, learn with a something or i would actually say front squat honestly because it's a safer exercise um or a goblet squat where you're just holding a big kettlebell up to your chest and it's just so easy to dump it if you get scared or whatever um i would really recommend those with for people that are that are relatively new to strength training yeah i mean that's often the crux steve right is like newer athletes don't understand the kind of continuum of modification, right? And so if they just see on paper, you know, single leg pistol squat, which is certainly an advanced motion for everybody, um, you know, you understand if you're listening out there, there's, there's a significant way to modify this from as Steve mentioned, two-legged goblet squat, holding a weight in front of you, uh, slowly progressing weight to finding ways to slowly transition weight to maybe one leg for the other. And and you start with less range of motion and obviously build up to a greater range of motion. So just understand if you're listening, there's a huge continuum of progression here. Um, and yeah, I completely agree with Steve. Start start with the basics, start with the foundations and, and go from there. Yeah, and I would also say, Jason, like I can recall two times in my climbing career where I had to start over with the goblet squat because I was coming back from an injury or something. And so, yeah, you, you may, over the life of an athlete, you're going to go through, you're going to go back to square one as a beginner multiple times. And, you know, you're, it's always, you're always somewhere on this process, on this cyclical process. Yeah. Yeah, And and careful, Steve, with your your tying beginner to goblet squat. Um, Folks at the Alpine Training Center know that they do plenty of, of, single kettlebell goblet squats. I often program them into warmups and also for the max strength phase, just because, um, as an exercise as a whole, like you said, the weights in front of you, it's, there's not a huge commitment of having a barbell on your back, but it also really taxes, you know, the core and requires yeah. you to not only warm up your legs, but, um, you know, maintain that good form while the weight gravity is kind of pulling you forward. So, um, I know Steve yeah. threw it in there as a, as a good progression, good start progression, but, that's one of my favorite exercises probably is a, is a goblet squat. Great point. I think the other part too, is that when coming back from injury or quote unquote, starting over, I think people get really discouraged by that. And I, I think it's really important to remember that you're never really starting over. You're always tapping into, you know, that muscular history as we were talking about your neurological firing, like that comes back faster every time. And so even though it can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm lifting so much less, or I feel so much less strong, you are not starting from zero. And it's the same thing with endurance training. You know, all of these are building that pyramid. And even if you have to shift down a little bit to shift back up, but that will come a lot faster. Um, So, you know, not, not being discouraged by having to to take a step back. Um, and I know that coming off of big races and seasons, it's like, Oh my gosh, how did I end up back here? Um, you know, barely being able to do a push up, and, <laughs> and then it, it just comes back really quickly. So I think that's the yeah. beauty of consistency and durability is that 
you you never you're not starting from the absolute beginning. But yeah. before this, this, go ahead, Steve. Well, this connects to something that sort of philosophically we want to promote at Uphill Athlete, where you know it's you have to look sort of inward and not outward for your comparison and realize that, you know, you're where you are on your journey and you may revisit a similar place in the future. You may have been here before and that's the process. Like that's, we, we are in these bodies for our whole lives. And so it's, we're going to continue to get to know them and our bodies are going to continue to change and we're going to age or, you know, we're going to go through menopause or we're going to have an injury or, I mean, all kinds, we're going to go through a pregnancy if you're a woman. I mean, there's all kinds of things that uh, our bodies are going to go through, go through a uh, you know, running a hundred miles really fast, or in my case, really slow. <laughs> <laughs> but all of those things are going to, uh, you know, we're going to need to kind of look inwardly and refocus and kind of assess where we're at. And that's one thing we haven't really talked about, but I think that is built into any of these progressions is the assessment and and being honest about where you are. And that's one of the things I personally love about the weight gym is like. I think Henry Rollins said it, a hundred pounds is always a hundred pounds <laughs> and you could either, you know, do that or, or not. And it, and it feels the way it feels on any given day. And I think that that's one of the beauties of it. It's, it's super honest. Definitely. So going into muscular endurance or muscular strength, I think they're both great terms. What is the purpose of muscular endurance and how do you take the max strength, turn this into muscular endurance, and really like why, where does this fit in the whole scheme of our strength periodization? So as we started things off, right, we've got the three phases at uphill. We've got transition, we've got max strength. And so the goal of the transition is to make sure that the fundamentals are there, make sure the foundation is laid for exercise movements, the body and mind are kind of ready to embark on a strength program, and then we go from there. Once we, once we kick off the max strength, it, it could range depending on who your coach is and what the programming is, but let's just call it maybe, you know, six to eight weeks of max strength where we're really training, uh, kind of the, the, the power focus, right? We've got low reps, high weight, really trying to recruit as many muscles as we can given the prescribed muscle group, um, and see if we can move that weight kind of quickly and explosively in control. And then once we have there, we have a really good foundation to, to kick off our muscular endurance. And the goal of muscular endurance, as Steve started off this whole conversation with, is we're looking to really maximize our ability to move sub-maximal weight over a very long period of time. And for a mountaineer uh, or any other mountain athlete, that could be that could be hours, right? That could be that could be a day long or even longer uh, endeavor. You know, if you're running 200 miles or you're climbing a big route where you're on the go, that's what we're prepping for. We're prepping to really tax the muscles, not so much tax the lungs because at uphill, we put so much effort into building that aerobic base. The goal is that when we embark on a muscular endurance phase, we have a decent aerobic base built, right? Our goal is to get our aerobic threshold pretty darn high. And then once we have that foundation, we, we kick off muscular endurance. Typically we're looking at, you know, doing one muscular endurance workout, or at least for me, I usually do one sometimes too, but usually one a week for, you know, six to 10 weeks, depending on the athlete. And the goal here is just make sure the muscles are burning well before the lungs. And that typically comes in an outdoor environment with an uphill weighted carry. And I typically start with maybe 10% of body weight in a pack and progress uh, upwards to potentially 30, depending on what the athlete's getting into. And, and again, the goal here is maximizing muscle recruitment, getting the athlete ready to move uphill with weight, but really getting those muscles prepared for that sort of, sort of a workout. Jason, I think you really nailed it there. I mean, that's a great description of it. And I, Alyssa, you said uh, muscular strength earlier. And I think you meant to say strength endurance, muscular yes. endurance yes. and strength. Apologies, endurance. strength endurance. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, I know somebody in the comments will, will call us out, but uh, <laughs> we want to be careful with our, our terms. And with, with strength endurance, it's, that's one of the the hallmarks, what we're looking for to find out if the, if the workout parameters are set correctly, um, meaning is the, the pack when the parameters are pace, steepness of the 
the the grade where I'm talking about uphill water carry or uphill rock carry, um, weighted pack carry, uh, the, the pace, the steepness of the slope, and the weight of the pack. And so what you want is, as Jason correctly pointed out, you want to feel like the legs are the limiting factor, not the lungs. And I think the hardest thing, honestly, with this is to find the right slope. Honestly, it's, it's, you know, I've lived in lots of mountain towns in my life and I've done these workouts for probably 30 years and well, not 30 years, 20, 20 years anyway. And I've always struggled to find the right slope, but once you find it, it's like gold, you know exactly where to go and it's perfect. But you know, a, a trail or a road, they're never steep enough. You have to, you have to go off trail typically. Um, you know, I think another good option is to do them on a really steep treadmill. Um, I, I recommend people do them in boots because your foot has to flex differently in a rigid boot your ankle range of motion is, is a, can be a limiting factor that is much more specific to doing them in say running shoes, but finding a gym that's going to let you go in with like a big pair of like, you know, uh, La Sportiva mountaineering boots and like put on a weight, and like grind for a couple of hours, grind for an hour, an hour and a half with a heavy pack on their tre- on their treadmill that goes to 30 degrees that, you know, you, you may be asked to leave. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there are some limiting, it is tricky. And this is actually, I think, the part where people get the most discouraged is finding this this place to do it. And so I want to encourage people to uh, try to do the best. Don't worry if it's not perfect. Um, I've had people, we had in our last mountaineering training group, someone doing them on a, the embankment of the dirt embankment on the side of a freeway on-ramp. Um, and it wasn't very long, but they were in Florida and that's what they had and they did it there. And you know what? Like, I think it was great. Like we, obviously he didn't dump his weight out at the top of everyone, but you know, he would (laughs) carry the weight back down. Um, but it was a good angle and it was kind of this gravelly soil and he he was able to wear boots and he was able to go out there and just go up and down and kudos to him for being able to do that for an hour and a half. He also did some good mental training. So, uh, I think that this is, this is a piece that, uh, I just want to encourage people not to get discouraged on, but Jason did a great job of, of describing it. Um, how we do these, these weighted pack carries and, and why. And I think that for mountaineers, you know, we've just seen time and time and time again, and that this has just been like the key workout that's really helped people feel great on the mountain and not just with mountaineers actually is also people doing uh races mount uh running races with a lot of vertical for example the tour de jean um all the athletes that we've coached and consulted with for the tour and that race has i think you're trying to get into that aren't you elisa this year that race has a lot of vertical. i have dnf'd it twice <laughs> yep oh that's <laughs> yeah, yeah it's my it's my greatest nemesis one day, uh, actually, yeah. Well, we're going to get you on a good ME program. We'll get you on yes. a good ME program, and you'll be fine. Uh, but you know, I I know that Will Weidman, one of our other coaches, he did it last year, and that's one of the things he taught when we I talked to him before that he said really helped him on that race was the the ME weighted pack carries and it seems counterintuitive right but again it's he was able to it increased his abs you know his strength endurance and so when he was running with now without a backpack he was able to use a lower percentage of the available strength endurance and thereby go longer and that's a perfect working real world example of how this is how this uh turns out and how it works yeah i mean steven listen for, for me the muscular endurance thing is when you're actually doing the workout for me, it, 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 what mimics the thing the most and in so many ways. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, at uphill, we kind of have our four pillars of capacity building. We have the aerobic, we have strength and we have, um, sorry, aerobic, anaerobic strength and technical. And then I add my, my fifth, which is the mental. And when it comes to the muscular endurance, you know, I'll often program for my athletes, uh, what I call like a, a benchmark day or a simulator day where they are, typically conducting an exercise that's going to have more vert or equal vert and more weight or equal weight to their actual, actual objective. And I think anyone out there that's done mountain sports can probably relate that when that weight feels really heavy and you're going uphill, that can be 
one of the toughest mental struggles for folks and physical. And so for me, when I'm programming these ME workouts, you know, I'm really trying to mimic some of those harder times that folks are going to experience on the mountain. And that could be going up a, a long, never ending boot pack. That could be the sled drag on Denali. Um, that could be as a first time Rainier climber, you know, just getting that 50 pound pack up to Camp Mir. I mean, this, this is very often the, some of the hardest parts of these mountaineering endeavors. And, uh, you know, the muscular endurance work is going to is going to be the the key component or one of the key components to really help folks be successful, both physically and mentally. Definitely. And I think that that's so important to be able to draw on that knowledge. Like I've done this before. I know I can do it. Here is the moment that I'm doing it and I'm not panicking because, you know, pull out of my mental toolbox. I'm ready. I can do this. And I think that that's a part that often people don't realize it is part of why we train is that the training is not just the physical capability. It's the mental capability to look back and say, I I've got this, I know I can do it. And I've possibly even done harder. Um, so I think that's an excellent point. So I think that we are just about wrapping up, which is so hard to believe Steve, what <laughs> Steve's got his hand up, go for it, Steve. <laughs> Well, there's one final important point I want to call out about muscular endurance is that it is our most trainable capacity. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons that people progress so quickly. And one of the things that makes it so fun is because it is so trainable. And these modalities and the, the, this structure that, that we've created at Uphill Athlete around this is incredibly effective and you can do, you can progress muscular endurance, especially the weighted pack carries I find for, you know, for quite a while before people start to plateau. I mean, 12 to 16 weeks is, is not uncommon. Uh, I, I, I think I don't know exactly, of course, what is the differentiator, but what I look for is for whether or not somebody's plateauing and you'll, you, what you should be doing, seeing is either the weight increasing each time or the weight stays the same, but you actually do it faster and there should be significant changes. Um, and this is, you know, Jason mentioned the one, sometimes one a week. One of the reasons that it is so important to have these, um, long periods of rest in between workouts is so that you have time to adapt because there is a lot going on um, in your body to in this workout. And there's a lot your body has to adapt to and build. And then you do it again. Sometimes I'll have people do it every 10 days. And that's, that's not that bad. Like it's, I think the biggest danger with them that I would warn people about is to, is to overindulge on this don't think, oh, wow, that was great. I want to do more. It's like a drug, right? Like, oh, that felt good. I want to give it to me again. No, you, you be really um, judicious in your application. Don't, because you can overtrain this really easily because it is such a big training load. You really need to program a lot of recovery, you know, aerobic days. You also just need to make sure you're maintaining your aerobic capacity that you've built, you know, your zone two fitness that you've built during this period. And you can't let, if you do too much ME training and not enough zone two, you'll actually start to lose your, your aerobic conditioning. So you got to kind of balance these two things. One ME workout every seven to 10 days can, you know, continue to hit the super, you know, consistency on your zone two runs or hikes. And, um, and just be patient. And if you have the time and can do this for 12, 14, 16 weeks, you know, my, my experience is you'll continue to see gains and, and those will be signaled by those increased weights or drops in time on the, on the reps up the hill. I think that's an exciting thing to realize. I think the zone two training can sometimes be, uh, monotonous in a way for a lot of people and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not making progress because it's so incremental. And so I think that it's nice to have something where people can see much more tangible results to keep them, you know, like motivated and kind of engaging with the process. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's great. 
Well, Jason, is there anything else you would like to add? I feel like we need a part two. There's so many other questions <laughs> I have in my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Can I, we talk I, about the gym-based ME a little bit. Do you want to take that, Jason? Yeah, of oh, course. Oh, yeah, let's jump on that. Yeah, so as, as Steve kind of mentioned, for a lot of us, it's, it's fun to, to weight a pack, fun to throw some water, or throw, some, throw some, some weight in a pack and move uphill. Why? Because we're training for the mountains. And if we have that at our disposal, um, it's fun. We like being outside. We like moving uphill. That's why we're here. We're uphill athletes. Um, for folks that don't have that, of course, you've got the Stairmaster. Um, but the goal of muscular endurance is really to train your body to create a high amount of power output for a long period of time. And that can be done through other modalities. And so Steve kind of asked me to think about different ways to create muscular endurance workouts. And, and that can also be gym based, right? Like, so you're, you're basically just taking any muscle group that you're trying to train to create high power output over lots and lots of reps, long period of time. And that can be done with anything for a lot of our climbers often use an exercise like uh, like a figure four, right? Where you're hanging off ice tools or rings and you're basically training your body, not only your forearms, but your shoulders and your core to do a series of movements. So we might program somewhere to like 10 figure fours per side, um, maybe with a two to three minute rest. And we'll probably build up to like three to five rounds over time, kind of adding rounds or increasing the, the quickness and the power of each one of those repetitions. So basically, you know, as Steve asked us to think about how do we translate this to the gym, you're trying to achieve the same goal. You're trying to maximize uh, power output over a longer period of time. And that can be done with essentially any muscle group. And the goal here in the mountains is, is make it sport specific. Make sure you're training those muscles and training that recruitment that you're going to be using on that objective. That's great. And I think that's really helpful because so often we get the question, you know, can I train to climb Denali, to climb Rainier, et cetera, in New York City, in Kansas? And the answer is yes. It might be very repetitive and not the most exciting, but you can absolutely do it and you can absolutely be in a position to do well. So mm -hmm. I think that that's hopefully inspiring and, and, you know, encouraging to people who are live in uh, vertically challenged places to make it happen. And post pandemic, so many more people have treadmills or stairmasters and stuff in their house than they used to. So I think that there's, you know, um, more resources at, at people's uh, disposal than perhaps there was not too long ago. But I think that this is also super good training for, um, technical climbers. I think that if I have someone who's more of a rock or an alpinist athlete, I, I, I will program them this, the gym based ME, um, and use exercises. And there's articles on the website about this as well, but how to use a figure four as an ME uh, exercise and then that kind of thing, because, um, or we talked about the treadmill hand walking where you're in a plank on a treadmill and you set it slow and you do that because you're actually what it that is is mostly transverse abdominus because you you know and shoulder because your your hand is tracking your your body your transverse abdominus mostly but a lot of other muscles as well is like holding the plank and then you know you're having to like lift up and move it's a, it, there's a lot of carryover i feel like to ice climbing mixed climbing hard rock climbing with some of these motions because in there core strength in this, especially in this lateral twisting way is so important in hard and steep uh, technical climbing. Yeah. I wish that people could see, have the visual on Steve uh, <laughs> doing the treadmill walking as we were recording the podcast. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say, I think we could do a whole other podcast, which we definitely will on this. Um, but anything either of you would like to wrap up with or add in uh, to close us off? No, I mean, thanks, listen, Steve, for having me. Uh, I love talking about strength training, especially as it pertains to getting ready for mountain objectives. Uh, and I completely agree with you. There's lots more to talk about. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And it was fun to, to riff on uh, max strength and muscular endurance this morning. Yeah, super fun to have you here, Jason. And we'll definitely have to do this again and dive dive even deeper into some of these little rabbit holes that we can go down. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, like 
I don't I shouldn't even bring this up, but how do you calculate using a stairmaster versus being outside? Are they the same? That's a question that I think a lot of people ask. So, we'll we will answer that later. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or or we can get to it now. <laughs> I'll, I want to answer it now, real quick, because I think okay, that uh, this is this this is a really important point that I think goes back to what I said earlier about looking inwardly and not outwardly. The important thing is that you record it consistently for yourself. The important thing isn't that we all record it the same so that we can compare one another, right? Like the, if you put on your chest rate chest heart rate strap and you do you use a fudge factor, whatever, like, you know, we have these fudge factors on the website where, you know, to take a TSS score, the training piece is going to give you for a workout. And it's like, okay, if you're carrying for every, you know, X amount of pounds, you add this many, you know, X amount of pounds carried for X amount of time, you add this Y many uh, TSS points. And we can link to that uh, article in the podcast notes and the show notes. But the most important thing is actually just that you do it consistently for yourself over time so that you can track your own training and not, there's no magic to these ratings. There's no magic. TSS is a made up number. It's a made up, it's a made up metric and what it's not, people just need to uh, try to, to, to realize that and understand that, that it's there to help them be consistent and measure their assign a load to their training that is more (laughs) relatively the same each, each time they go in the gym or each time they go outside. And that's what, that's what helps us there. So. That was great. End it with a, with a nugget of wisdom. So thank you for listening to the uphill athlete podcast. If you can rate review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, it really helps us to get our education and knowledge out in the world. You can also visit us on the Uphill Athlete website at uphillathlete.com or write into the coach at uphillathlete.com with any questions that you have. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you, Jason. Great episode today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. It's not just one, but a community. We are Uphill Athlete.